uh, we ping-ponged all over, you know. I, uh, I wasn't all, I didn't have a great sense of humor when I was a kid. I, I, I always wanted to be somebody else. I always wanted to be someone who was stronger or taller or better at anything, really. Because, I, I mean, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like, I, I wasn't dumb or anything like that. I wasn't, like, uh, intellectually, you know, uh, challenged in any way. But I could not pay attention in school. And, uh, you know, my teachers, by the fifth grade, were done. They were like, uh, you know, my dad was a holistic guy. He did not want to give medication. And uh, by the fifth grade, my teachers, like, had a meeting. They finally convinced him to get me on medication. They were like, look, either this kid gets on medication or I get on medication. One or the other. Like, the first day of school, I'd always, the, the teacher would be like, you're going to sit here, okay, we're going to focus, okay, and you're not going to talk. By the end of the first day, she'd be like, look, just go in the back, walk around, do what you got to do, just stop talking, please. I was just interested in talking, not necessarily about what we were working on. It was pretty bad. So, you know, and I remember my, my dad telling me, you know, and the doctor saying that this will make Michael better. And uh, in the vast majority of cases, this medication, uh, this medication is, is taken with no problem. And I was given, uh, they give you pure amphetamine, you know, I was given dexedrine and 30 milligrams. And I was like, I love school! I need more notebooks! I have lots of notes. I think I figured out time travel. I'm not sure. You know, I joke around about it. But, you know, there was something wrong right away with the way I reacted to the medication. You know, they said it was going to make me better, and it did. I mean, I had clarity of thought. I, had, I felt a euphoric feeling. You know, the enemy has a substitute for everything God has for you in your lives. And, and this was, I, the minute I took it, I knew that I always wanted to feel this way. And uh, it's not normal for a fifth grader. Uh, and I didn't know that I was addicted, but, uh, you know, the addiction just got worse. By the time I was in high school, I was buying, uh, you know, Adderall and Dexedrine and other uppers, anything I could find. And uh, I took my first opiate. My first, I took a Percocet for the first time. And, you know, it was like the substitute for God's love. I, I really was a lonely, lonely kid. We moved a lot. And uh, it was hard to make lasting relationships. And when I felt that warmth from the, from the pill for the first time, it, I, I just felt at home. And I was, I was gung-ho. I was going to use drugs for the rest of my life. And by the end of my high school career, I was a full-blown heroin addict. And I had a chemical for every, every part of the day. You know, I was taking, uh, you know, amphetamines or cocaine to wake up and, uh, you know, uh, opiates to feel good, and benzos to come down, and, you know, every, every, uh, that was my life, and, um, you know, my dad came to me, we were living in Kansas City, and he said, we're going to move again, now, I'd already been to three high schools, I was like, I'm not going to go, and he was like, it's to a town in Massachusetts called Sandwich, <laughs> it sounded cozy, I mean, let's just be honest, I was willing to give it a chance. Uh, and we moved to Sandwich, Massachusetts. 
And you know, uh, you've probably heard about the heroin problem on Cape Cod, um, and it just got worse and worse. I got, basically, I got uh, chosen to be a drug dealer, um, and that should be surprising, because I looked exactly the same. Uh, I was always, I was never, I never fit in with the drug crowd either. I was always like the dad of the Jay-Z concert, like, uh oh I remember, like, my dealer's dealer was like, you're selling to that guy? But they knew I wasn't, they knew, I wasn't coordinated enough to be a cop uh, or an undercover agent. Nobody, but I had a clean driving record. So uh, they said I could, if I, I could get uh, my heroin for the same price as the dealers, I could sell it as long as I wasn't cutting into their clientele. I made a 500% profit. And, uh, because, I mean, even if the cops pulled me over, they're just, you know, they'd be like, ah, oh, slow it down, buddy. You know, I wasn't raising any suspicions. Uh, and uh, until one day, I did. I got, uh, you know, I can't get into it all today. I don't have enough time, but I'm as bad a criminal as I was at anything else. Uh, I was, when I got pulled over, uh, you know, I was in a car with stolen plates that, a drug dealer had sold this to me, a drug addict had sold, sold his car to me for drugs and wrote on a half a piece of paper, I give my car to Mike Cordry. And, you know, I hand this over to the police officer who pulls me over, like, there you go, officer. <laughs> this is my legal documentation. I didn't have insurance. Uh, my co-defendant was sleeping in the back with no seatbelt. I had a push-button start. Uh, which was illegal, apparently. There were Adderall and other pill casings all over the, <laughs> the floor of the car. Uh, and, you know, I get pulled out because, uh, you know, it's an alarming situation. And, uh, you know, the cop's like, what's this? And I was like, uh, I take flaxseed, you know? I, I just I take care of my body. Um, and my co-defendant heard it and corroborated it. I'm so good at lying as an addict. Uh, you know, and, and then in the car, they found uh, a fake pellet gun. Uh, well, it was a real pellet gun. It was a fake gun. And a note that said, give me all your oxycodone products. Uh, I have nothing to lose. I'll kill you. I had, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, addiction brings you to terrible places. And I had went from robbing my family blind. Uh, and, you know, some, some people go for money. But what I went for was drugs. I went straight to pharmacies. I robbed pharmacies. Uh, with a broken pellet gun. I mean, even if they had been working, it would have been like, oh, hey, cut it out, pal. That stings. But it wasn't working. It was unoperational. Uh, but the police officer was interested by this point uh, and pulled me out of the car. But here's the thing. This is how unlikely uh, of a drug addict I was. I still didn't get arrested. He dropped me and my co-defendant. They impounded the vehicle and dropped us off at the train station. And uh, we went on, and three days later, I did get arrested. Hold on a minute. To explain the thousands of dollars that I was spending and receiving, you know, when selling drugs, I got a job at Chili's for six hours a week to throw them off my scent. Criminal mastermind. You know, that 86 bucks washes it clean. And, uh, and that's where I got arrested. I got arrested while I was working at Chili's. I was the to-go guy. I answered the phone. Thanks for calling Chili's. Tell me great food to go. This is Mike speaking. How can I help you? And that's someone on the other line goes, is Michael Cordry working? I said, speaking. They hung up. I thought it was the wrong number. Not very, not very bright. Uh, I usually don't catch on. <laughs> I was using a lot of drugs, too. 
Uh, but I go in the back to get my order, and two police officers pull their guns on me because they think I'm trying to run. I mean, guys, come on. There, I mean, there's 0% chance of a foot pursuit with me. I'm not, I'm not even as fast as I look. <laughs> well, it's just saying something. It's like, is he running? His, his legs are moving a lot. But, uh, and it's hard to take a police officer seriously when he's wearing a badge that says sandwich police. <laughs> but the gun, it's convincing. I was arrested without incident. I mean, not many people can say they've been arrested by the sandwich police and taken to sandwich jail, but I, I was, and uh, I was immediately indicted. And so um, I almost got booked into the gang unit because of my ink. I see some of you guys have ink. You have tattoos. You guys want to see my, my ink? That's a resounding no. That... <laughs> That was a solid no. Well, guess what? Too bad. They're like, is it visible? If it's not visible, we're good. I think it was a consensus. Well, too bad. Here it is. Bam. That's right. Now, anyone past the third row probably can't see that. It's about the size of a nickel. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, you know, my friends, my buddies at 18, we were like, friends forever! And we all got this tattoo. I never saw any of them again in my life, you know? And people who knew me were like, bro, you got a tattoo? I'm like, I know, I'm surprised too. And they're like, they're like, did you cry? No. But I didn't get another one. That was plenty. Just one was good enough for me. Uh, felt a little weak. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I get booked into jail, and they, <laughs> they asked me what it meant. And I was like, brotherhood. And they got the wrong idea. Uh, so I overhear their conversation. I was like, I don't, I don't know this for a fact. Uh, I'm not, you know, I don't think the Aryan Brotherhood uses Chinese symbols. I don't know that for a fact. I'm not a part of the organization. I think it's like English and German, that's it. Uh, but they thought it was part of the Aryan Brotherhood. Uh, I mean, they probably didn't, but I almost died. I overheard this, and I'm like, please just put me in the regular population. And that's where they put me. I got, uh, I was in Middlesex County Jail. And meanwhile, you know, I was, they were, uh, <laughs> and you know, not only, not only did I have all that in the car, I had a, ma I had a map with all of the areas I was going to hit, circled, because I'm directionally challenged as well. This is before I had map quests printed out. Bad criminal. I mean, if you asked the prosecutor, like, to write down everything they could possibly want, they wouldn't come up with all this. I mean, it would be a dream. It was open and shut. Uh, and so, you know, and I, like I said, I had, I had a, a medication or a substance I was using every part of the day, and I started to withdraw all at once. So I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm in the jail, and my nerves are on fire, and I'm withdrawing, and they, you know, this is before they started giving addiction medications in the jails, and I... Uh, and then, you know, the, the most perfect thing happened. A guy came up and started talking to me about Jesus. Fantastic. Now, I'll tell you this. I was not only I was not, only not a Christian. I, I, I thought Christians were the worst. I thought, it was, uh, I thought they were harmful to society. I thought it was an opiate to the masses. Not that I had any problem with opiates, but... 
I, I thought it was weak-minded people believing what they wanted to believe and pushing fear on other people. Uh, this is, and I had absolutely no desire to know who Jesus was. Uh, and, uh, but I was a sitting duck. And this guy started talking about this place called uh, Teen Challenge. And uh, I don't know if you're aware of what Teen Challenge is. He said it was a, it's slightly religious not slightly religious, but it's a program, and he said they'll take anybody, and I was, that sounds good to me. Now, I tried to get it, I, my, so my father, you know, my father was a, is, is a very loving man, and he couldn't bear to see me in jail. He couldn't see, bear to see me locked up, but I was indicted out of two counties. I was facing 14 felony charges, including two armed robberies. I'm still lying to my dad. Like I'm like, it's a big misunderstanding. <laughs> oh, man, you're going to laugh. You're going to laugh. Uh, he wasn't going to laugh. But, you know, he, he had some money that he was going to invest in the house. He had just taken out a loan to finish his basement. And he took all that money, and he bailed me out of two counties. And he said, if you can find a program, go to a program. But you have one week or I'm revoking the bail money. I don't know if you can do that, but I believed it. Uh, <laughs> and I tried calling everybody else. You know, there's so many reasons to say no. I, I didn't have insurance. I didn't have any money. I didn't have transportation. I was facing 14 felony charges. Uh, you know, so many reasons to say no. And every door, I couldn't leave the state. And, uh, you know, I called the Christian program. They're like, you sound perfect. Come on in. They sounded weird right from the beginning. And I had no frame of context. I mean, the name Teen Challenge, it sounds like a game show on the Disney Channel. It sounds super easy. And, you know, I had no frame of context. I didn't know what Christians did all day, but they were like, there's lots of prayer, and, you know, you get to read the Word of God. And I was like, this is great. Uh, I, you know, so I thought, I was the only thing I could think of was like Sister Act. I was like... I thought maybe one day I'd sing for the Pope. I don't know. I was like, I could sing a little bit, you know, in the background. Uh, but I want, you know, I, they drive, my dad drives me up to this big building. Uh, he barely slows down <laughs> and kicks me out of the car. Uh, and I head in. And uh, now I was used to Christians. I had met Christians. They were usually nice and docile and even-tempered, easy to get over on. These were not the same Christians that I had met before. You don't get to Teen Challenge unless you need Teen Challenge. You know, like, uh, no one chooses to go there. Uh, and the first guy I meet is a guy named Ronnie Ferullo. Now, Ronnie Ferullo was a real tough guy from the north end of Boston. I mean, I'll give you a visual. Imagine a bulldog in a Red Sox hat, and you're there. You've got it completely. And he had a... He had a a vein in his head that went like this, like he was deciding whether to rip your face off at any given moment. And he walks in and he goes, hey, fill this out. I'll be back in 10 minutes. Huh? You got money? No? Huh? 10 minutes. I was like, I'm going to fill it out so fast. Do you have a pen? It's fine. I can probably, I'll just, I can write it in my blood. It's okay. I'd like us to be friends. Uh, and he turns around and he goes, hey. God's going to change your life. Amen? Hey, he's going to rip that dirty, disgusting, rotten soul right out of your body and replace it with his spirit. Amen? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> Do you have that pen? I, it's fine. 
Ronnie, man, he was something else. Ronnie, like, Ronnie would have a funny story that was only funny to him and no one else. Like, I'd be telling this story, and he'd be coming up, and he'd be like, okay, so one time, okay, this is funny. I'm stabbing this guy in the eye, right? I'm stabbing him, and oh my gosh, there's blood everywhere. This guy's crying for his mommy. <laughs> or I'm not funny enough for you funny men. Were you done? Oh my gosh, I was just about to laugh. <laughs> I need some orange juice. Um... And listen, real tough guys, because, you know, there's lots of fake tough guys out there. Fake tough guys will tell you everything they ever did. They're like, oh, uh, you know, I got 30 homes. On the, you know, I got six homes on the beach. I got uh, speedboats that I transport kilos of cocaine back and forth from Columbia. It's like, I used to mix my cocaine with dynamite and smoke a cigarette. It's just who I was. It's like, didn't your mom bring you in the program? I'm fairly certain your mom dropped you off, right? Lois, she brought the lemon cookies. She lives with me for tax purposes. <laughs> but Ronnie's a real tough guy. Real tough guys deny everything from the beginning. He's like, I came to the program of my own volition. There was an, in there was an incident involving my car and a body. Someone matching my description got an altercation with the police. You know, I have nothing but respect for the men in blue. It's like, sure thing, buddy. <laughs> he had fancy names for everything. He wasn't a drug dealer. He's like... Ah, I was a local distributor of recreational consumables. <laughs> he didn't break people's legs for money. He was like, oh, I was a non-traditional debt acquisitions agent. <laughs> That's not what that is. And the next guy I meet, they bring me in, and there's this, uh, this guy sitting at his desk. Now, Richie was the next guy I met. Richie had uh, long hair. He had a braid going down the middle of his back. He's a leathery fella. Um, he had been in a biker gang for 25 years. So he was great at group dynamics, but not a lot of sensitivity training. Because he's like, they don't stress that in the, in the biker community, I guess. Because he's laughing hysterically at my file. He's like, oh my gosh, you really messed your life up, huh? Oh man, looks like, uh, wow, I doubt your family's going to forgive you. Not that it matters. Looks like you're going to prison for a long time. And listen, he goes, tell me, Mike, what do you know about the Bible? I was like, me? What don't, what don't I know about the Bible? There's Jesus and uh, Moses, um, Gandalf. Uh, I know there's an old lady who lives in a shoe. I think that's in the middle, in the, in the Psalms, right? Um, I didn't know. And let me tell you, they, they, give, they release me into the general population. Now, look, I, the, the, the friendliest Christians in the world... The friendliest people in the world are granola Christians. The fruit flakes and nuts. They are always the first to meet you. And uh, I was no different there. I come down, this guy walks up to me, he's like, oh, blessings, brother. Jesus brought you here by his divine providence. I was like, my, uh, my dad brought me here in his Kia. <laughs> Not your brother, but uh, don't worry, brother. You don't belong to the serpent anymore. You're going to be the bride of Christ. I don't, belong, you know, I don't belong to a snake. That's not le legal. I probably wouldn't be the bride of Christ. I'm a man. I'm not looking for anything serious right now. Um, <laughs> don't worry. Soon you'll be covered in the blood of the lamb. Is that going to happen tonight? Look, I, I respect your religious freedom. I have a weak stomach. I might throw up. I'd like to opt out. If there's some paperwork, 
I didn't know. I had seen some crazy stuff. I didn't know. I was like, are there snakes involved? Uh, and I think the thing that saved me was dinner. Hear me out, okay? You don't know me, okay? I mean, the, the program had the reputation of sending people home saved and sanctified and full of the Holy Ghost and morbidly obese, clinically much fatter. I mean, the before and afters, we used to go to churches and people would be like, uh, oh, is he, are those in reverse order? Did he get stung by bees? But I was already a hefty fella. This guy comes out and he's like, all right, guys, each one of us getting a roasted turkey tonight. We, you know, we got uh, baked potatoes. We got French fries. We got macaroni salad. Hey, guys, for desserts, thanks to Ellen's Bakeries, each getting a birthday cake, okay? Finish your birthday cake, all right? Be grateful for what God's provided. And I was like, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, brother. Uh, <laughs> hallelujah. May you be covered in blood on the day of your wedding. I don't know what that Sorry. Now I don't have a. I don't. I, I actually. I don't have a lot. A lot. A lot more time. So I want to kind of cut it short a little bit. But it's. Uh, you know these. These people freaked me out. No doubt. Okay. Uh, they were different. But I could. There was something different about them. There was a uh, a sincere love that was unearned and uh, was jarring. You know, when you're an addict, you, get, you use people and abuse people, and, you, and it's just, it becomes a part of who you are, and you get so used to people looking through you and not at you and, becoming, and just being a pariah. You're not an enjoyable person to be around at first. Um, and, you know, being clean, for me, every time I tried to be, you know, get sober, get clean, it was exhausting. Every day seemed impossible. And, uh, you know, I, I, what I decided to do was I, I, gave, I was, I'm going to give this a chance. I was going to open myself up because I was still convinced that I could learn the Bible just at least to argue with Christians, right? So, and then, you know, little by little, the truth is more powerful than a lie. Amen. And it began to seep into me. And listen, I was just looking for contradictions. And the more I studied the Word of God, the more it affected my life. And the more that I heard the Word of God, I, I, I remember then there came a moment. Uh, and, you know, not everyone has a moment like this, but I was, uh, it was a graduation. Uh, we used to gra when people would graduate from the program, we'd have a big celebration and, and they were worshiping, and, and there was this song, uh, Worthy is the Lamb seated on the throne, the darling of heaven crucified. Worthy is the Lamb. And my heart, like, it's amazing what God can do in a moment. And all of the stuff that I had been studying and studying all the, all the scriptures, everything came into focus all at once. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, I was flooded like my... My dead insides, my, the, the desolate wasteland that was my heart began to open up. It began to, I, I felt the flood of the Holy Spirit. I saw very clearly the glory of God. You know, the Bible says that the whole earth is full of God's glory. That it's saturated in His presence. And I saw it for the first time. And it, wasn't, and it was like I had a revelation of who Jesus was and how far away I was. Like the... Uh, how, how much my sin had separated, how holy God was, 
but also the overwhelming love that he had for me. And I, I tell you, I started, I, it broke my heart. And my life changed. My life absolutely changed from that moment on. Things looked different. You know, I, 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 my, the name of my sermon, which I don't know if I'm even going to get to any of it today, is The Power of Weakness. Because all I had to offer was weakness. And, you know, my whole life I had been hoping and praying that, look, I would uh, be a stronger person. But at that moment, I realized that, I, that my weakness had brought me there. It was my weakness that had brought me to the feet of Christ. I didn't want to be another person anymore. I, I, uh, you know, I, one of my favorite teachers in school, she would, uh, <laughs> I always wanted to be the first in line for lunch but I was never the first in line for lunch. I'd always be near the end of the line. So one of my teachers would, uh, would when we get in line, they'd be like, all right, everyone turn around. And then I'd be at like the front of the line. And I, you know, that's what God did. You know, I was, I was a heroin addict out on bail. I had no reason to be happy. I was going to prison for a long time. And I think we can all agree, I'm not cut out for prison. But it didn't, you know, my life didn't matter and it didn't matter to me anymore because I gave my life to Christ and it belonged to him so I, I, I went from this person that had absolutely no purpose to having one of the most important jobs in the universe being an ambassador for Christ and for telling people about hope and I my and now my attitude changed I became grateful about everything not just I was grateful that I was a heroin addict because you know what? If I had been a stronger person, I would have never come to Christ. If I had had it all together, I would have never come to a place where I needed his power. And, uh, and that's the thing about the weakness. And I will do one of the scriptures that I saw at the time, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Now, Paul was talking about people boasting about their accomplishments. But... He's talking about a uh, thorn in his flesh. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Sa of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest, uh, rest on me. Uh, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I, we don't, I don't know what Paul was uh, referring to. It didn't have to be addiction. But weakness brings you to the feet of Christ. And it doesn't, it could be a physical infirmity. Uh, but I became grateful to embrace the, that weak part of myself because I daily had to get strength from Christ. But I did feel the power to overcome my addiction. I had a lot of help, too. Um, and, you know, God does amazing things. You know, he, he, uh, I can't get into it all. But I was facing 14 felony charges, including two armed robberies. And I did it. I deserved to go to prison. And there are great public defenders out there. I didn't have one. I had a couple of guys. I mean, they looked like they slept on their clothes. Not, not in their clothes, on their clothes. It was amazing. I was like, do you need a place to go? I know a great program. So one guy called me Miss, Mrs. Ortega in the middle of my arraignment. And he's like, 
Mrs. Ortega's a, a leader in the community. And it's like, wrong file, buddy. Wrong file. But God worked it out. Listen, that I, my public defender, uh, went before a judge, a superior court judge, and asked, uh, because he was a liberal judge to, uh, and someone who liked to give people second chances, if he'd lobby the case. Now, superior court judges don't, don't make a habit of taking other people's cases on. But he agreed to lobby the case. He agreed to resolve the case. He dropped five of my felonies. I pled guilty to armed robbery and conspiracy. He sentenced me to three years probation. Now, out of another county, I was facing another seven felonies. And it was the judge there said, look, you're going to go to prison. You've been convicted of the crime. You very clearly did it. I appreciate that you're trying to change your life. I'll offer you four years in one day. Uh, and, and you know what? Everyone was saying I should take it. But I knew God had said something different to me. And I, I held out. He said, you can see the next judge on the court, but that four years goes out the window. And he said, I, I agreed to it. My public defender came out and said, you're going to be seeing Judge Isaac Bornstein on June 6th. Same judge. Same judge. Now, he sent, he, uh, I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Mr. Cordry, I am putting my reputation on the line. If I ever see you again, I promise that I will do then what I should have done the first time. And I said, I don't know what I said, but something like that. What do you say? He sentenced me to three years probation again, running concurrent. He didn't drop any of the felonies, but God is good. Amen. I, I, uh, I, I got three years probation for nine felonies. And God did all the other stuff in my life. He, he, uh, I met a girl, which was amazing. I mean, I wasn't crushing it with the ladies before the program. Uh, not a lot of ladies looking for chunky junkies out there. And I wasn't really trying either. And I met this girl, and, and, uh, and she was just funny, and she had a great sense of humor, and she, had, like, she, she loved Jesus. I saw her at the altar, like, crying for the Lord. Now, I wasn't even allowed to talk to a girl. So I don't know, uh, you know, when I met her, I don't know what I said. I was like, you smell, you smell like sunshine. That's, that's inappropriate. I'm going gonna, gonna, gonna to go to the bathroom. Not right here. I, gotta, I can go whenever. I, gotta, I have to take a buddy. It's, I'm just going to go number one, not number two. I go number two, plenty. I don't know what I said. It's something smooth like that. And the girl that I like, though, I make bad decisions, guys, uh, was the daughter of the president of Teen Challenge New England. And it, I'll let you, Pastor Phil, tell you about my father-in-law, but he's a scary dude. Uh, he had pictures of dead things all over his wall that he had killed with guns. And he was just a very serious dude. And he had told me, when I asked him, he said, don't even think about her for six months. And I was like, Six months? That's easy. <laughs> that sounds fair, sir. Uh, if we're being honest. I didn't ever say. I said I was weak. Uh, so, but six months, I mean, you know, he's saved, but he's not stupid. You know, this is his, this is his daughter going to Bible college. You know, I'm, I'm still out on bail. I get it. Uh, but he was a man of God. He, he believed that the Lord uh, was working in my life. He saw what God was doing. And six months later... She agreed to go out with me. I don't know why. 
And uh, I took her to Uno's because I know how to treat a lady. And uh, I had a coupon. I was making not a lot of money. Uh, and I dropped a pizza on my shirt on, on that date. Not a piece of pizza, an entire pizza. <laughs> Guys, most people can't fit an entire pizza, but I can and I did. And guess what? That's not the worst part. Yeah, so after this date, and by the way, I ate the pizza. I mean, it's perfectly good pizza. I'm not going to throw it away. It's got a little bit of shirt on it. Big deal. So she had to watch that. And then at the end of the date, I decided to go in for the kiss because I'm stupid. I'm kidding. But I, uh, <laughs> and this is slow-mo of what it looked like, I, or what it must look like. I was like. Right about here, I was saying, this is far. I think she, and I opened my eyes, and she is, listen, she's leaning back. She is defying the laws of gravity. It's like the matrix to just get away from my mouth. Not interested. And I kissed near her ear like, meh. And she said, I'm, I'm a classy girl. And I said, dear God, make me a bird so I can fly far, far, far away from here. Ah! But she agreed to go out with me again, which was amazing. Uh, yeah, and we got married in 2007. We've been married for nearly 15 years. God is good. And this is what God does. Just amazing thing after amazing thing. I got a job. You know, my, my, uh, that mother that I hardly knew, that mother that disappeared. For, I'd seen her one time in 10 years. She called me. She knew something was different. And she said, Michael, I'm done. I need help. And she came through the doors of Teen Challenge in 2006. And she gave her life to Christ. And I have a mother. I have a mom. She's right there. Hi, Mom. Oh, there you are. Not you. Sorry, ma'am. It's hard to see up here. That's her. You know, God is good. I mean, she, she just moved in. My father, I lived in his basement until he had to kick me out because I was a drug addict. And he now lives in the basement apartment uh, right there. I take care of him. You know, they, I, get to, I get the luxury of caring for my father. My mother just moved in next door. We got family. It's right there. It's all of us. I mean, I, no, I'm kidding. It's, it's a delight having you. But really, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> And it was my wife's idea, okay? So for those of you going like, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's been, it's been, a, God has given me a great life. But here's what I wanted to share. Now, I had a whole bunch of other stuff that I wanted to share about weakness. But I, when I came to this church, okay, I, I would love to just wrap it all up in a bow and say, yeah, and then everything was perfect. But that's not true. You know, this uh, addiction, I, I, that's, I, in my formative years, this is how I learned how to deal with issues, with substance abuse. And you know what? I, there was a culture problem, at least in the program. Everyone that I saw in the Christian world seemed so strong. Even these people that had gone through the program and that had overcome addiction. You know, Paul prayed three times. I prayed 3,000 times. The, the desire to use drugs would go away. But guess what? It didn't. And you know what? Uh, it took, I've, I've had to learn the lesson over and over and over again. That God's powers. Now, Paul says that I, this weakness, it, God didn't take it away. 
But it was how he got God's power in his life. And I've had to learn this over and over and over again, is that rather than hiding my weaknesses, it's to embrace them and to talk about them. You know, the Bible says that confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Not that you may be forgiven. You stand and walk in forgiveness. So all I'm going to say, I know that my story isn't super relatable to all of you, but when I came here, you know, I, I, uh, Doug, Doug Kramer, he's, he leads the Celebrate Recovery Group. He called me. And in my pride, now it's been, it's been a long time since I've used drugs. So I'm like, you know, I'll come, I'll check it out, you know, if you need some help. It was really, honestly, I think about it, it's pretty cringy the way I responded to it. But when I went, I saw, I saw men and women who, uh, who were not stuck in their addiction, but who were working on getting at the trauma, at getting at uh, the underlying issues, at understanding themselves. And, and as I began to do that, you know, Doug's my, my sponsor now. It doesn't, it's not about whether or not I'm going to go out and use drugs. It's about working on myself and being a better man of God, learning myself and learning how to deal with these things in a better way. And God is so good. My life is so good. So that's all. I'm going to, uh, I'm negative three minutes now. So I'm going to wrap it up. But if, you know, we have Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock. And whether that's your thing, I just am saying, uh, you know, all of us have weaknesses. Amen. And we, and we should be a church that, uh, that doesn't hide those things. But instead, you know, the thing that you're so ashamed of is what qualifies you to talk to someone. You know what I mean? That, this thing that you don't want to share or that you don't want to uh, expose to the light. It's, it's nothing that God doesn't know about. So, if, however that be, I don't say, now don't go around just spreading all your stuff to everyone. You find trusted people. But uh, let's embrace that, okay? Amen. Let's, that's, that's it for me. Thank you for letting me share. I think that's one of the things, what he just said is so true, and I hope you take it to heart, is that we, we come to church, we try to be all buttoned up and perfect, we try to show our strength, and this is what I'm good at, and this is how my life is together, but the, God's kingdom is backwards, everything is upside down, and in your, in, it's in your weakness that he will make you strong, and so the, those things in your life, not that God wants to celebrate your sin or your weakness, but that's where he's able to work, when you admit I can't do it, I don't have it together, I have this life-controlling problem, or even I have pride, whatever it is, whatever that weakness is, God is, is that's where he's really able to work in your life.